Saint Columbo once said, grant us that love which can never die, which will enkindle our lamps but not extinguish them so that they may shine in us and bring light to others. Welcome to the 65th episode of Saint Infinite's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth, one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I think it's always good for us to remember what we are called to do. Bring the love and light of Christ to the suffering of this world. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, we've talked about Bishop James Connolly of the Diocese of Lincoln on the podcast before. Back in December of 2019, he announced he was taking a medical leave of absence due to depression, anxiety, and tinnitus. His return at the recent USCCB meeting led to him sharing even more about his mental and emotional well-being, and I wanted to spotlight this because we really don't hear enough about our bishops talking about mental health, and, and when they do, I want to point it out. Mary Farrow at Catholic News Agency provides us with more. The bishop told Mary, it really goes back to the summer of 2018, so long before I finally got to the point where I asked for some time off. There were the difficulties in the church with regard to the misconduct of priests. Connolly also had to close some diocesan schools that he had said had been running in the red for a number of years, and that's always a difficult decision to make. It was the right decision, but it was a hard decision, he said. There were a number of other things that kind of mounted. I think that started it. I felt I was responsible for all of this and that I had to try to fix it myself instead of surrendering to God. I was trying to fix myself, as, and as time went on, I realized I couldn't. I couldn't do it while I was still on the job, so to speak. I was called by God to be a successor of the apostles, and we don't have any record of the apostles taking time off. So I just, I didn't think that it was a, a thing that bishops could do. And that somehow that would be a sign of weakness or failure or not being able to fulfill my duties. When in reality, we are body and soul. Grace builds upon nature. And so we need to take care of our physical and mental well-being in order to be good at whatever we're doing. So the bishop said, I received a lot of letters and cards and notes, not only from people who I knew and who were writing in support of me, but from people I didn't even know who themselves had struggled with some mental health issue or a relative or some friend of theirs had. And they were so grateful to me for being so open about it and transparent. They thanked me for talking about it because of the stigma that's surrounding mental illness. And that was helpful for me, comforting for me to know that I wasn't the only one and that I wasn't alone in this. You know, I'm so grateful to the bishop for speaking up about his mental health and the importance of realizing that reaching out for help is a strength and not a weakness. And I hope that his time away and now his return is a step toward our church becoming the top advocate for mental health around the world. Let's all join together in prayer for the continued wellness and recovery of Bishop James Connolly, for everyone living with mental health symptoms, and for our church to become the most welcoming place on earth to those of us who are suffering. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. On to the next topic, 
is it possible that video games benefit our mental health? <laughs> the Guardian kicks us off. Playing video games can be good for your mental health. A study from Oxford University has suggested following a breakthrough collaboration in which academics at the university worked with actual gameplay data for the first time. The study, which focused on players of Nintendo's springtime craze Animal Crossing, as well as EA's shooter Plants vs. Zombies Battle for Neighborville, found that people who played more games tended to report greater well-being, casting further doubt on reports that video games can harm mental health. Crucially, the study was one of the first to be done using, using actual playtime data. Thanks to the internet-connected nature of these games, the Oxford University team was able to link up psychological questionnaires with true records of time spent playing games. Previous studies uh, had tended to focus on self-reported time playing, which, in, uh, which is the study found only weakly cor correlated with reality, of course, right? We say we don't play as much as we do. Back to me. As with all of these studies, we have to remember a couple of things. While the results of this study may sound promising, it's important to remember that too much game time may also have negative consequences. Not to mention, with many games now played online by friends and by strangers, all the problems that go along with the toxicity of social media can even creep into our gameplay. So in all things, moderation, of course. But hey, I figured I'd throw the gamers a bone here, huh? So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm going to introduce you to St. Andrew Dung Lock. Born in 1795 to a poor pagan family in Vietnam, Andrew was just 12 when his family had to move to Hanoi to find work, and it was there he met a catechist who would give him an education in the Christian faith. He learned Chinese and Latin, and then began to teach the faith himself, eventually becoming a Catholic priest in 1823. Catholic culture picks us up here. As a parish priest, he was tireless in his preaching. He often fasted and lived a simple and moral life. He was a good example for the people, and many were baptized. In 1835, he was imprisoned under Emperor Min Mang's persecutions, but his freedom was purchased by donations from members of the congregation he served. But on November 10, 1839, he was again arrested, this time with another Vietnamese priest whom he was visiting so that he might be able to go to confession. Once again, Andrew was liberated in exchange for money, but the freedom was brief. He was soon rearrested and taken to Hanoi, where he suffered dreadful torture and was eventually beheaded on December 21st, 1839. When we're stuck feeling like the walls of our world are closing in on us and about to collapse, we can remember that we have a friend in Andrew Dunlock, ready to intercede with Christ that we may experience his peace, his strength, and his grace. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. St. Andrew Dunlock and companions pray that we will go about our daily work solely out of love for Jesus and in dedication to his service. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And now, you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Twitter therapy. 
Ella gets us started, I asked my spiritual director why there aren't more Catholic resources on mental health, and he said it was pretty much because the church isn't a group of psychiatrists and can only refer uh, to the spiritual. That may be so, but why doesn't the church at least talk more about it? Why is there still such stigma surrounding it, and why does it seem like the church isn't doing much to change that? What is the line between psychiatry, mental health, and spirituality, uh, or the uh, spiritual effects on mental health, or vice versa? Whew, this is a big one. Thank you, Ella. Let's start by joining together in prayer for Ella, her spiritual director, and all of us in the church that we may be brave and bold children of God who are ready to end mental health stigma and replace it with the unconditional love Christ has for all our sisters and brothers. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. So this is tough because I appreciate the sentiment your spiritual director was striving for. It is important for those of us in the church to recognize that we aren't always the experts when it comes to mental health. We might not have the best tools to help those who are suffering from mental health symptoms, and we need to know where we can connect our sisters and brothers to get that expertise, those tools, and the help they need. However, the church needs to do so much more than just refer people out. Two things. First, we have to remember that our faith journey, which is what the church is involved in, needs to be one that approaches the whole person, our thoughts, emotions, personality, etc. So we have to be willing to talk more about mental health in our parishes and church communities. Second, we have to realize that when someone reaches out for help with mental health, it took them a long time to get to that point. And often, if there isn't some kind of help available in that moment, the opportunity might be missed and they might not reach out for help for a long time after that. So as I've said before, I think it's crucial for the church to get involved in what's called mental health first aid. It provides a basic level of knowledge about how to help when someone tells you they need help and how to recognize when someone might need help who hasn't said anything. It'll go a long way toward helping everyone feel more comfortable and learning better what their role can be in helping our sisters and brothers. And as I've also said before, we have to be willing to share our experiences, to be vulnerable and to share with those we trust what we've been going through because through sharing, we can transform our suffering into something that helps others, makes the church a more welcoming place and uproots the stigma that leads so many to suffer for so long. Mary is up next. I've been working with a new counselor for a few months now. In the past, counselors had tried various DBT and CBT methods, but I tended to resist them and feel both resentful and guilty. This time, we're mostly talking through my past, and so far, seeing how the past injuries have affected my worldview, self-evaluation, and fears. Sometimes it doesn't feel like we're really doing anything. I'm just telling stories that I already know and have told before. But despite all this, it feels like the most effective therapy I've ever been in. I don't don't have homework, which is great for my scattered ADHD and guilt-filled brain, and it's weird to not see or understand the process. Is this a usual reaction? Have I just tricked myself into some sort of placebo effect? I'm about halfway through our year together, and I'm already starting to be nervous for it to end. So stop what you're doing, please, and join me in praying for Mary and everyone working through their mental health in therapy, that God may give them hope, peace in their hearts, and perseverance to continue that hard work. 
Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. So first things first, this is a very common reaction. A lot of times, especially if we have experiences with cognitive or dialectical behavioral therapy styles, we might feel like simply talking about our past won't do anything. After all, we're not doing any work, especially outside of the sessions. However, we have to remember a couple of things here. First, different therapeutic modalities have different approaches to how to achieve progress, how to measure progress, and what the work of the therapeutic process is. CBT focuses on homework and act doing things to work on reframing your thinking, but psychodynamic theories focus more on working through things that have happened in your life, processing and incorporating what it all means, and working to figure out how it impacts who we are and how we're going to live day by day moving forward. Both are hard work. Both get us somewhere down the journey toward mental and emotional well-being, but both can feel very different. And we have to remember that one is not better than the other, but rather we need to consider our personality, the way we see the world, what we would like to see in terms of the process to feel like we're going somewhere good on our journey and look into and try out the modality that seems to best match up with all of that. Keep up the great work. Kelly wraps us up as a mom of four teens, two of which live with anxiety and depression, though receiving medication and regular therapy. Some of our most difficult days are Sunday mornings, though not lately due to COVID being at mass can ramp up their anxiety. It's the opposite of what I hope and pray for it to be. Uh, at times their anxiety increases during the mass. Do you have any suggestions? So let's start by praying for Kelly, her children, and all of us, families out here trying to do our best to lead our families to God in the best manner possible. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here, ever this day be at my side to light and guard, to rule and guide. Amen. First, I, I want to say how incredible it is that you've been open to how your teens are feeling and you've helped them get connected to therapy and medication for their mental health needs. You are an inspiration. And I hope that other parents listening take your example and help their kids in the same way when they need it. It's just so great. This is all pretty hard. I mean, when we're feeling anxious or depressed, even when we're doing better overall because of medication and therapy, we can experience a, a decrease in motivation, energy, and even seeing uh, a point to all the things we're being asked to do. And this is no different for teens than it is for adults. So I think it's helpful to remember that their reactions and experiences may at least be a little bit uh, due to their mental health symptoms and not to a complete uh, total act of the will, right? So that being said, there are always positive coping skills that we can utilize when it comes to trying to make the future go a little more smooth. And one great place to start is spending time visualizing the day and all the things that trigger the anxiety. Doing that work beforehand, uh, even though it can be hard and anxiety provoking in and of itself, can make the actual day easier. So what I'm talking about here is having your teens and, and you, right? Like you can practice the process together of getting dressed, like this is all through visualization, getting in the car, driving to mass, sitting through mass, sitting through the different parts of mass. Before you do the visualization, you can even sit down and plot out what are the things that tend to raise our anxiety when we're sitting in mass? 
What are the things that happen that that make us feel anxious? Do we notice somebody look at us from a different pew? Um, you know, all these different things that lead to our anxiety rising. We think through those. We practice them out. We say to each other, what are we going to do when this comes up? Am I going to tell you I need help? Am I going to activate one of the coping skills that you've helped me learn or my therapist has helped me learn? What are the things that we can do? We practice all that stuff ahead of time so that when the real moment comes, we're ready. Remember, one of the keys we talk about on this podcast over and over again is practicing these tools when we feel okay so that when we don't feel okay, it's easier for us to jump right into them. In addition to visualizing the task ahead and going through each of the steps as a practice run, we can also utilize visualization to calm ourselves when anxiety starts to rise on the day of. One that many people find helpful is the serene beach technique. And let's try it out thanks to verywellmind.com, shall we? Visualize yourself lying on a white sandy beach, complete with clear blue skies, and gently lapping waves. Imagine your body sinking into the chair and feel the warmth of the sand on your feet. Let go of any tension, soften your eyes, and continue to breathe in time with the rolling waves of the water. So you see, when we start to feel anxious, if we have the ability to do this, we can we can put our feet on the ground, we can sit up straight, and we can start to visualize and imagine these things right down to the physical sensations of the thing that we're imagining. And that can help us get out of our anxious mind, rolling and rolling with these thoughts that are plaguing us, and focus on something different so that we can get into the present moment, right? So God bless you and your teens. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.